0: Welcome back to the Nebraska Abilities Podcast. I am your host, Andy, with my lovely co-hosts, Nate and Zach. And not to anybody's surprise, Nebraska falls Saturday to Oklahoma 49-14 in Mickey Joseph's first game as interim coach. And I got to tell you, throughout last week, I was slowly chugging the Kool-Aid of Mickey Joseph as being a head coach. I was sitting there thinking, Oh, I know how bad this team is, but man, we got a new voice at the realm. Mickey Joseph's going to come out, and they showed that tunnel walk Saturday. He was fired up, getting his players fired up, came out, holding his hands up, getting the crowd ready, saying, here's our team, we're ready to play. And you could just feel the energy of Memorial Stadium just shift, and we were ready to go. The first three minutes of the game were fun, and after that, boy, did it go very, very south for the nebraska corn huskers here with that not a whole lot to talk about in terms of positives for the game uh special teams probably the brightest spot didn't really have a whole lot of mess-ups to be concerned about in terms of turnovers or onside kicks or taking punts out uh five yards or more type thing Uh, offense very first drive of the game fantastic defense first two drives of the game made oklahoma punt went three and out looked fantastic and the minute that dylan gabriel ran that 61 yard touchdown to the house showed just how bad the nebraska defense still is and still will forever be bad other big news coming out of saturday after the game, not really Saturday, but Sunday afternoon, Trev Alberts uh, announced again that Mickey Joseph had decided to relieve Eric Chenander of his duties as defensive coordinator and made Bill Bush the defensive coordinator the rest of the season. Bill Bush, if for those that don't remember, has had a lot of experiences being a defensive and special teams uh, coordinator in the past. So this was a no-brainer for who to call up as uh, the defensive coordinator for the rest of the season here. Uh, But with that, we'll go to Nate for just his quick initial thoughts before we get into the meat of the game. Yeah, so I suppose my initial
1: thoughts are still somewhat optimistic. It was... I think we had talked about last um, week how it's kind of a tall ask for Mickey Joseph with Oklahoma <laughs> number six team in the nation coming in. I mean, it's, you, you want him to do well. You want him to kind of go out there and show kind of what he has, but I don't know. I think there's <laughs> definitely room for improvement, but it uh, wasn't necessarily the showing everyone was hoping for, I guess. And so uh, still a lot of the same issues that have plagued this team um, under the Scott, Scott Frost uh, regime. But there were the first few minutes, at least, it looked like there was a lot more intensity, which was nice to see. Uh, we came out against number 16 in the nation, scored on our first drive, had a good defensive uh, drive as well. And so there were some really initial good positives. I remember watching the game with Andy Turn to him And for a split second, I was like, man, we might win this game. (laughs) Obviously that went downhill pretty quick, but, uh, there were, was at least some hope, some optimism, I guess, initially with the game. Uh, and so not ready to jump off the Mickey Joseph bandwagon just yet. I think we need to give him a little more time. Certainly. Uh, we'll see kind of how things shake out with big 10 play starting in a couple weeks here, but, uh, I guess, like you mentioned, Andy, the other big news from the game was that Shenander was fired or relieved of his duties. And so that was, as much as I want to say it was surprising, it wasn't terribly surprising, but it was a little bit... uh, I I was at least taken aback to hear that just after one game already, Shenander was fired. I was okay with the decision, but I was definitely taken aback by it, uh, just the timing of it, with kind of how the... There have been so many changes recently with the program. But overall, I'm, I'm all right with the decision. Bill Bush should be decent. I think, uh, like you mentioned, he had some uh, defensive coordinator experience with LSU. And so that should help us hopefully moving forward. But overall, I was more or less whelmed with the game it wasn't <laughs> again it wasn't shocking that we lost or even uh in the way that we lost, but it was just kind of another another game I guess so but with that, I guess I will close my thoughts there and pass it over to Zach here.
2: you bet um I kind of have the same thoughts really uh it basically was not a surprise that we lost i guess uh when i when I say We weren't supposed to win. I guess that's not me being pessimistic at all. I I don't think anybody expected us to trounce number six in the country. Uh, And Brett Venables definitely showed up and brought his team to play and they were ready to go. Uh, I was not at all surprised by Chins getting fired. I was, I guess, happy with the decision, which is unfortunate because everything else that I had heard about Chins the guy Was He was a great guy, but it wasn't being put together on the field, and obviously I think it was a good call, which that actually goes back to what I had said last week when I had mentioned that Trev mentioned that Mickey was going to make significant changes, but then like two days later, there wasn't really anything real big announced. I think we saw the significant changes all of a sudden, Um, and again, I, I think that was a good one. Not really a whole lot to talk about, I guess, overall for the game. For me, um, you guys pretty much hit on everything I that I wanted to talk about. Outside, I mean, there's there was just not a lot of good. Uh, the special teams was probably <laughs> the shining star, but that's probably because the special teams wasn't on the field very much. Uh, they were when they had to be, but you know they they didn't have any issues that I saw. Yeah. Uh, I don't really have anything else to add there. So I'm going to pass it back to Andy and let's get into the meat of the game.
0: So with our offensive staff here, not really the staff, but the game going forward. uh, Like I said, first drive, fantastic. You go out, you go down, I think, what, 77 yards, score the touchdown. Nice pass over the middle to, oh God, I already forgot who scored. Uh, Trey Palmer, there we go. Trey Palmer right out of the gate. And like Nate had said, uh, we had turned looked at each other and they go oh yes this is it we the energy is fired up we're going to win this game we're going to go out and do it and then we saw how the rest of the game went I saw a stat at halftime that uh, Nebraska went that first drive like what nine plays 77 yards scored the touchdown the rest of the drives after that in the second half was about 37 plays for like 76 yards that they did the entire rest of that first half and that is kind of the or the moral of the game if what else you need to know about it is that they just did absolutely nothing on offense. Brett Venerables showing you as Oklahoma coach why his defense has always been so stout. And he is very much a defensive minded coach uh, for that. Um, in terms of players that looked good, uh, despite Casey having absolutely no time in the pocket whatsoever because of our trash offensive line. Uh, fourteen for twenty, uh, 129 yards and a touchdown, for that um as well. Did run it a couple times, but not much. I know in uh, college football you get negative rushing yards for sacks, so he had like minus 30 yards for rushing, but all of those were probably because he was sacked every single time for that as well. Uh, receiving wise, Trey Palmer led the team with 10 catches for I think 92 yards there in that lone touchdown. Next closest receiver were tied with uh, Marcus Washington and Brody Belt with two catches. So it's clear that uh, Casey and Trey have developed a good chemistry in terms of pass catch uh, on that spectrum. Uh, again, there wasn't a whole lot with the offense though. Uh, they were not on the field that often, despite Nebraska surprisingly winning the time of possession by a minute. Uh, and you look at that is one of those things in the Scott Frost era where you would think, man, if you just win the time of possession, you kill the clock, you're probably going to win the game. And more often than not, that is true. But in this case, when you let Oklahoma score on 40-plus yards, 60-plus yards, the 20-plus yard rushes they had for touchdowns, that kills a lot of the momentum for, obviously, your defense, but it kills a lot of the game to think that, oh, Oklahoma didn't have the ball that often. You know, How did they win so by so much, it's because we let them score on these massive touchdown runs uh for that as well. Running back wise, Gabe Irvin technically let the team in rushing yards despite that being against Oklahoma's second string defense. Our first string uh running backs, AJ Allen, Anthony Grant, did get stuffed a lot at the line. Um, uh, not a whole lot of running room for either back today, or I guess Saturday there. Uh, for our, again, trash offensive run block line there for that. I also saw a stat that this was the first game out of the first three games for Anthony Grant that he had finally been tackled for a loss officially for the season. So that just tells you how good of a player that Anthony Grant was the first three games. And I don't think to this day that we win that North Dakota game without Anthony Grant uh, making some of those amazing runs and some of those amazing plays there. For that as well uh, for that though backup quarterback I mean Chubba got in there in garbage time despite the one interception I mean it looked like his package set if he ever came into a game it looked a lot of like what we ran with Adrian a lot of RPO a lot of Chubba rolling out if he sees the first down takeoff type thing um, and I probably that is by design uh, we knew that Casey was more of a passing quarterback rather than a running quarterback going into the game whipple knows that as well but you know Chuba ran for that touchdown got the other 14 point or the other seven points for the end of the game there so i also thought it was very funny that nebraska scored the very first <laughs> possession and their very last possession of the game as well but yeah outside of that i mean offense not a whole other lot to say other than our trash offensive line needs to be in the quote that Zach loves to use is fired into the sun <laughs> for that, but with outside of that, I'll pass it over to Nate. See if uh, what do you got on your offensive thoughts for the game, Nate?
1: My offensive thoughts are pretty offensive. Um, <laughs> overall, it was just outside of that first drive or so, just didn't look like a whole lot of effort was going into um, play calling and just play execution. Uh, that first drive really, like I said, just gave me some hope that, okay, maybe we're finding our groove or we can at least kind of compete in a big game like this. And I was I was really impressed with how we moved the ball uh, pretty efficiently downfield. And then it culminated in that Trey Palmer touchdown for, uh, I believe it was 32 yards, if I remember right. Uh, so not a terribly long play, but it was a nice Nice pass by Casey, one of those um, pinpoint precision type passes that we see from him quite a bit, at least uh, when he's feeling confident. <laughs> that's, that's kind of one of the things I've noticed with Casey is that there are times where some of his passes are right on the money and then other times they can just be way out of left field. So that is uh, something interesting I've, I've noticed watching Casey play. Could certainly be a product of that offensive line, though, because turns out when you have more time to throw, you probably make better decisions, make better throws. Uh, our offensive line excels at not allowing that to happen, which is unfortunate, but it is kind of what we're stuck with. So, I think biggest offensive takeaway has to be just that we actually scored some points on offense. <laughs> that's, that's kind of what surprises me the most. I mean, there were multiple times where Oklahoma's defense was in our backfield within the first few seconds. Multiple times we've already talked about where uh, we would see offensive linemen just completely missing their assignments and letting guys run in willy-nilly uh, without even being touched. And so you can't, you can't be doing that as an offense, but it just makes the fact that we actually scored points and had some positive plays that much more impressive, I guess. Um, But honestly, after that first drive, things really stalled. Play calling was kind of so-so. It's tough to tell just because the offense was so stagnant, couldn't really get anything going. Tough to really tell if that was a play calling or if that was just a product of the offense, not really being able to do much against a pretty top-notch defense. And so that'll be something to, I guess, look forward to uh, as we move into Big Ten play. But then otherwise, uh, you mentioned it, Andy. Trey Palmer was the really bright spot, 10 catches, which is pretty impressive for 92 yards. A little less impressive, but had a lone touchdown uh clearly trey palmer is going to be or has that chemistry with casey and is going to be our clear-cut wide receiver number one so that's at least a positive and then in- interestingly enough uh our running backs were we had gabe Irvin obviously in garbage time racked up the most but aj allen anthony grant both held under 50 yards no touchdowns um Really interesting to see that we at least got a couple different guys in there. Obviously it was garbage time, but it was nice to see some of the fresh blood um, in there. Like our Gabe Urbans, our Jacquez Yance uh, with AJ Allen and Anthony Grant not being as efficient as they have been. So that was positive to at least see we're willing to give some other guys a chance. But other than that, yeah, really just lackluster from the offense in general. And hopefully, having a bye week coming up soon, we will be able to, I don't know, at least rejuvenate the offense to kind of where they were against some of our other opponents. But with that, I'll go ahead and pass it over to Zach on uh, any of his thoughts.
2: You know, I think, for me, it's kind of fair to say, just as in a general sense for the offense, that our skill positions are doing really well with what they're given. You know, Nate, you just said that, Anthony Grant and uh, A.J. Allen didn't necessarily, they didn't perform as well, but there were still some good runs that they both had. I remember while watching the game, at least in the first quarter, thinking, yeah, you know, they they still look like they're performing well. Unfortunately, they're going up against a much more strong opponent, and that showed because, again, the big I think the big key point with the offense is that the offensive line couldn't stop, couldn't fight themselves out of wet paper bag. It was just poor execution, poor technique, and the the fact that we all were able to pinpoint specific spots where somebody just completely missed a blocking assignment. Just, And I'm pretty sure, I, if I remember correctly, I might get this wrong numbers-wise, but I'm pretty sure the same player made three complete whiffs for a block in that first drive in the first couple drives, I guess, like you could count the times that Casey got sacked or, you know, at least got, got touched by the defense that it was because of this player. And it's just that, that was the telling story for me. Uh, The, you know, outside of that, outside of the line, the skill positions did what they could, but they can't do much when you're only going, only given a second or two to actually react and do your thing. So, I really don't know what anybody would expect from them based on what we had there. Uh, I think for me, even with the positives, quote unquote, that we had with with what we saw on offense from the skill positions, the the offensive line just drags down so much more, and which actually makes and this kind of goes for both sides too is it makes me wonder what our strength and conditioning coach, uh, Mr. Duvall, is doing because. We see all these hype-up videos over the over the summer of these guys lifting, you know, 400 and 500 pounds, or, bench and, or not benching, geez, sorry, um, squatting that much and doing just ridiculous amount of weight, which is great if you're going to be a bodybuilder, but it makes me wonder, like, are we losing technique in doing that? Because football is not just about the strongest guy on the field. That certainly helps. I'm not going to say it doesn't, but it seems like, especially in the offensive line the technique is just gone or not not there and you know i know that's probably rich coming from me who's not who would get eaten <laughs> alive by a get e- eaten alive by a lineman but still it just there was so much that was not <clears throat> was not as exciting to watch because every time casey would get confident or even get on fire he'd get a couple passes or a couple good runs we'd go to do a third down maybe a long pass and he'd get sacked for 10 yards because our offensive line couldn't stop anything and I I have questions about it but unfortunately those questions will probably remain unanswered until we see who the next staff is but yeah I I'm probably the more pessimistic one out of the three of us but I was I was impressed with about five or six people on the offense, and that's about it. Um, Outside of that, I I knew by the start of the third quarter, I was like, I think I'm. I I watched the game, but I was not excited to watch
0: the rest of the game. Uh, With that, I will pass it to Andy. Then, so on to defense now. Uh, Again, biggest news coming out of after the game on Sunday, Uh, Trev and Mickey. I guess really Mickey deciding to, I'll take back what I said earlier. It was Mickey that made the decision to fire Shenander. Uh, his exact quote for the press release was we appreciate Eric and the work and dedication he has given to our f- football program at this time. I feel it is and it, it is in the best interest of the Nebraska football program to take the leadership of the defense in another direction. It decided bill Bush will take over the defensive coordinator and quote from Mickey Joseph there. Zach's. Going back to your favorite quote, like you said last week, fire Shenander into the sun, and Mickey Joseph sure did that, didn't he? I'm just glad to see that someone took my advice seriously.
2: Now, I hope he didn't actually fire him into a rocket into the sun. That (laughs) that might cause a lot of questions, but hey, you know, it's nice to know that someone out there is listening, so
0: props to you, Mickey.
1: Everyone knows Mickey's an avid listener to the Nebraska (laughs) Goalty podcast.
0: Yes, he is. But with that, uh, first drive of the game, great. All the energy of the game helped that defense, got them the first stop. Uh, second drive then was the Dylan Gabriel touchdown, and things went down from there. Uh, what we and what I had feared going into this game was you can have all the emotion, you can have all that mentality behind you, as we saw in the first offensive drive and first defensive drive. But playing in an emotional fill game cannot sustain you all four quarters. And it proved after that touchdown, uh, Dylan Gabriel's touchdown, that this defense was ready to get shelled, and they got more than shelled uh, for that. And I think we had talked about in our opening podcast that we were all kind of unsure of how Oklahoma was going to be this year um, after the Lincoln Riley fallout and we knew that Brett Venerable was what the defensive guy and coming in as a first year head coach. You just, you never know with a new program. They almost had an, almost an entire roster turnover, too. And we just had no idea how they were going to look. And, and boy, were we wrong. <laughs> boy, do they look like a playoff team. And we make every team look like a playoff team against us. Number six is probably pretty accurate for them. Let's be honest. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so much is yet to be said about Oklahoma. Obviously, the rest of the year will t- uh, tell that for us. But yeah, I think Zach had told me during our text chain during the game is we make any team that plays us look like an all star caliber playoff team. Um, probably going to be the theme for the rest of the season. Um, And we had also mentioned this last week. We just were not sure, you know, with Mickey as a new voice and a new leadership, how much true change we were going to see, you know, within five, six days of him taking the realm. Um, Didn't think it would be a blowout. I know after so many close losses, after so many close games, we were eventually due for a blowout and it happened. Um, I was not in the least bit surprised or shocked about how the game went, how the defense played. Uh, the past three games proved to me that this defense was definitely going to get shelled by Oklahoma, and they sure did. Uh, just It still goes back to coaching, just the angles. I keep going back to that Dylan Gabriel run because it never should have been a 61-yard touchdown. There were about two or three players that just took horrific angles trying to tackle him. And all of them missed because they all took awful angles. And I, I Tommy Hill, as much as I thought he was going to be a standout cornerback, he got picked on all game. On that play, he was probably blocked 20 yards downfield by one of the Oklahoma wide receivers. He just has not lived up to what we all thought he was going to be in the offseason. And that's to say with a lot of our defense, um, especially our DBs, are, the secondary is such a concern going forward um, in terms of pass coverage, in terms of man coverage. I think what Zach had mentioned at one point is, you know, as much as they praise talent on the defense, there's a reason why we don't play man every single play on defense. Is because we do not have the fatigue, the stamina, the talent to play man against Oklahoma. Nonetheless, you probably will have some all-star or, uh, all conference wide receivers on that team for sure. Uh, by the end of the year, uh, Marvin Mims, especially is probably going to be close to first or second team, all American, if I were to guess. Um, but it just proves that this defense, once again, you can have all the emotion, all the mentality of you're going to win, you know, you're going to win, but if you do not go out there and prove it, and if you, It comes down to the trenches. Uh, That game was definitely won and lost in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Defensive wise just got pushed around. Those touchdown runs in the second half by their running backs. I mean, those were just, you could walk two or three guys through the holes that they opened there. Our defensive line just got manhandled uh, on in the trenches. Our linebackers just every time a linebacker would come up to plug a hole. I mean, there was an Oklahoma, guy or lineman just waiting there to block the hole. And that just goes back to great coaching on the Oklahoma staff, knowing what they had to do coming into this game. And it just proves why Oklahoma is a top tier team in the country. Uh, But I would not be surprised if, you know, they kind of run the table if they'll be in the playoffs or at least in the playoffs discussion towards the end of the year. Um, Brett Venerables just knows what he's doing with that team. And we have absolutely no idea what we're doing with our team. Hence, why we fired our head coach and all of that, or our head coach and our defensive coordinator, too. And who knows what else we're going to see uh, with that going forward. But I will be interested to see what Mickey Joseph talks about tomorrow on uh, Tuesday in his weekly press conference there. I'm sure he'll be asked and addressed about the Chenander firing, uh, thoughts about going forward with Bill Bush as defensive coordinator, what he's going to do the rest of the season. Um, and I'm sure he'll be asked if there's going to be any more interim uh, coaching changes. And we'll talk about the discussion of this later um, towards the end of the defensive comments here of just how long are we going to see the ripple effects of Scott's tenure here, what he left for us, what, coaching's, what coaches he left for us, and just how bad it was uh, internally uh, for coaching. But with that, Nate, I'll just pass it to you for any defense comments.
1: Yeah, so the big news, I guess, just Shenander's out. And I think it was a decision that needed to be made. Again, it was a little surprising timing-wise. But, you know, Mickey Mickey knows what he's doing. I have full confidence in Mickey that uh, he knows kind of how to run the program. And if someone's not getting the job done, someone's not getting the job done, he's willing to make the changes necessary to catapult the team forward and so that's I guess positive to see from that front at least he's he's at least willing to make the changes or at least make changes that might be necessary to move forward as a team and uh, so that'll be interesting to see the ramifications of that but honestly you can't really get too much worse defensive wise so (laughs) Maybe a uh, coaching change is all we need. Maybe we, Bill Bush should be a little tougher on him and uh but I know tackling has been really our Achilles heel. Andy you mentioned it, our the angles that we're taking are just abhorrent. Uh I know when we were watching the game there were times where you're you're just looking at us trying to pursue uh whoever has the ball and it just it isn't clicking for whatever reason. And I don't know if that's a practice thing a scheme thing uh something to do with not practicing tackling as much but it really does show the product has been really lackluster and so that's something that needs to be addressed i think and it seems like from all the comments i've been hearing reading about that we're actually starting to do live tackling which is just Insane that we weren't doing that before as a football team, but. which
0: I do think it was miles farmers in the press conference after the game that he had mentioned that they had been tag practicing uh, during practice, which for those who don't know tag tagging essentially is just two hand touch in practice.
1: I know there's probably some sort of stipulations on the amount of tackling you can do in this day and age in practice, but to not have any live tackling whatsoever really, I guess, defines why or kind of shows why the defense has been as bad as they have. If they're not practicing the fundamentals in practice, that's going to translate out um, to your on-field product. And so we've really been seeing that. But looking at some of the stats... I mean Oklahoma had no issues passing it they only had 268 passing yards so uh that part wasn't necessarily the main issue it's just the run defense we got gashed for 312 yards on the ground which not necessarily surprising or unheard of but just a little a little disappointing that there wasn't at least some adjustments made from the Georgia Southern game where we gave up over 600 yards. I think we ended up giving just a little over 500 yards to Oklahoma. But just seeing that there wasn't that much of a... And granted, there were only six, seven days to turn things around a bit, but just to see that there wasn't really that much uh, difference in what the defense was doing was a little uninspiring, I guess. But yeah, everything from the tackling to the D line to the DBs and safeties just needs a nice overhaul or a nice yelling at, I guess I think they, there are certain times where there's, you can tell there's effort, but there's a lot of times where you can tell that they just are not going out there and playing the best that they can. And so hopefully Bill Bush can instill some more confidence, more fire into them that they can move forward and really, I don't know, moving into Big Ten play at least, play with a little gusto. So with that, I'll I'll go ahead and pass it over to Zach for your thoughts on uh, defense.
2: Yeah, I think you guys covered it pretty well overall. Um, I mean, there's not much to really talk about. Defense was just bad. Uh, They had had a graphic that came up on the TV, uh, and I thought this was really telling that, Nebraska gave up almost 200 yards by the second quarter. I think it was like 176 in the first quarter alone. Now, of course, that was all pretty well held up by that 61-yard run by Dylan Gabriel, but still, like, that's bad. <laughs> I don't think anybody can argue that that wasn't that's, that's not what you want to see in a defense. And not only that, going back to the Dylan Gabriel run, there were I don't remember if it was radio or even TV or whatever, but I remember somebody telling me that it was one of the announcers wherever they were at said that uh Dylan Gabriel is not a running quarterback. And I mean that was obvious if you watched him run. I mean, that's no dis that's no disrespect to him. He's just meant to be more of a passing quarterback, which is totally fine. But he ran a 61 yard touchdown on our defense, we should have definitely had him stopped long before he got a touchdown. You know, maybe that was more of a credit to him for running that well, but you could just definitely tell defense looks lost. And I do think uh, the firing of Chenander was warranted was needed. Uh, a lot of people said it should have happened last year. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with that personally speaking, because one of the things we've always talked about the three of us, at least as fans, that has been our big problem in the past was the consistency. So even if like the coaches weren't necessarily looking like they were changing a whole lot, it was always kind of in the back of our, our minds to think, well, we don't want to change too much because if we start bringing in new coaches, the players aren't going to want to play under them because they were recruited by Chenander or whoever, or you know, we, we saw that issue with Mike Riley bringing in Diaco that last year. That's a whole different discussion too. But say, I think the same thing kind of applies here. We were, I think, we were trying to overcorrect and keep Shenander to keep that consistency going, which I thought at the time, at the end of last year, you know, best three and nine team in the country. <laughs> we see where we where that led us, I guess. But no one really knows that going going out of the end of the year. And to be to be fair to the, what we had thought. Our defense did look a heck of a lot more improved last year. It was just the offense that couldn't get us to the end of the gate for the wins. Now it's switched this year, but it also kind of goes back to the whole idea of coaching, though, because now we're seeing that yeah, we had great talent last year because we had however we had I think three or four six year seniors, and we were playing all upperclassmen basically for defense last year, which. They, you know, had time. They practiced. They had learned. They knew the scheme really well. They knew how to defense, I guess, if you will. At the end of the day, but now we're again we're seeing the the ripple effects starting. Even that, either we didn't we didn't prepare these kids to play or something because it seems like the people that should be next in line were not ready at all. Barring a couple, I guess, but still, it just. I I don't have a lot of positive to say personally. I was so unimpressed with the defense outside of the first drive or two. I guess I don't remember when it was when the second or sixty-one yard run came, but I was really impressed that we stopped them uh, and got them to punt. And of course, I, as soon as uh, I saw that, I think in the same vein as what you guys said, I told myself, "Hey, jokingly, I would like to point this out before anybody really wants to roast me." I was like, hey guys, I think Nebraska might be back, and of course, as soon as I said that, I clearly must have ruined it. So, yeah, I think we all
0: said that after the first drive. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, we were and, pretty confident,
2: and you could tell. And you guys said you guys mentioned this too. Like the emotion was there. You could tell that at least Mickey was riling the players up in a good way. Um, he was he was getting them prepared, and the going back to the tunnel walk, which you already kind of discussed. That was, I mean, the tunnel walk is always kind of one of those you know, goosebump moments for me. I always think the tunnel walk is super cool. Um, And so like the tunnel walk just seemed like a a unified unit coming out, even though it kind of always did, even with Scott here. But now like, you know, it's not really fair to Mickey either to be expecting too much of changes, but now we're seeing the changes come in, especially with the bye week And so, Again, I don't really have a whole lot of positives to say. I don't think there really were much, Um, but I am excited to see where we can go with the defense. And I do really like the uh, promotion for Bill Bush. I think he, I can't speak to his ability as a defensive coordinator specifically because I think he was an analyst before taking the special teams spot. Um, But I I think he was last
0: year because Scott decided not to hire anybody as a full time special teams coach. And we know Hall how that turned out.
2: Well, and I mean, if we look at, if we look at, again, our defense last year, again, I think held up by upperclassmen and stuff, but he probably has a pretty good idea of at least what we should be doing. And so I think Bill Bush will be a good, a good uh, choice to put there. Um, But with that, I will pass it back to Andy and we can keep going.
0: All right. Yeah. So just a couple kind of quick cleaning up, uh, items from Sunday, the Saturday, the game um, before we kind of get into more of the where do we go from here? Coaching search, we're going to have to address urban because that whole story's taken <laughs> its own legs. As much as I said last time, I really, 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 really don't want to talk about urban and I want to shut it down. Apparently, we have to still talk about it because everybody else wants to talk about it. So, to my Dismay, we will touch on Urban a little bit, but that's about it. Uh, kind of the biggest hit outside of what Mickey said after the game was uh, Teddy Brahaska registering for the rest of the year, which, if you had any hope for offensive line sustaining some sort of blocking, Teddy was your guy, and we no longer have him for the rest of the year. So that just makes our offensive line much worse because now we don't have the one guy we knew was kind of be. Going to be the more stable person on that offensive line is now redshirting for the uh, rest of the year. I uh, assume a medical redshirt because that's why he's redshirting the rest of the year for that as well. Um, I know that Mickey had said after the game that he took accountability for the loss because he didn't have his players ready. It's very nice of him to say we all know that it's not true at all. None of this, none of the, none of this season or that loss is ever going to be on Mickey because he was thrust into this position. None of it, none of it's going to be his fault, but it's nice to see a much different personality between Scott speaking after a game after a loss versus Mickey speaking after a game after a loss. Uh, Just kind of the head coach mentality of, okay, I know what I have to do. I know what we uh, did wrong. We got to fix it in practice and all that. Um, But yet, yet again, that Scott also said that too. And obviously nothing changed, but we're also not holding this over Mickey's head that he, takes all of the blame for this loss because again he was five six days onto the job before he had to prepare for the biggest helmet game of the schedule unless michigan is like number two when we play them at that point uh which they're on pace to be at this point <laughs> but uh with that there i just kind of made a note that i was i was watching that game and thinking, especially after Shenander got fired, now, uh, my little joke was, "What are we gonna, we're gonna play the game of which coordinator or which uh coach is gonna be fired after the next game type thing?" And I think we're just gonna do a survivor thing of, well, each week one coach is just gonna get fired until we have nobody from Scott's tenure on staff anymore. Um, Huda, and like we said, Mickey's gonna speak uh tomorrow on Tuesday, Dan. I'm sure he'll be asked that. I'm sure he'll get addressed about the uh, whole Chenander decision and all of that as well. But I am more curious about kind of heading into the future of where do we go from here now? How long are we going to see Scott's tenure affect this program? Um, obviously the first thing is you, you have to clean house with all of Scott's guys that he brought in. I just think at this point, your head coach is gone. Defensive coordinator's gone. We got rid of his friends from last year that he had brought from UCF with us To I just do. I think you have to start with the coaching staff. You just got to clean house. No matter who you bring in as a head coach, I think Mickey Joseph right now, and maybe Mark Whipple. Uh, depending on how the rest of the season goes for the offense. I think might be the only guys you keep who knows if Mark Whipple wants to keep and stay, but I would appreciate if whoever they brought in, they would retain Mickey Joseph. I do think he's going to be good for us long-term. Um, even if it's just an analyst recruiter type thing. Um, I do hope unless Mickey gets the head coaching job, that's also very much of a possibility as well for that. But it just, it, to me, I had that thought of, all these transfers that we brought in to save Scott's season are they can work. Um, it's it is good to have talented players. We see that Trey Palmer has emerged, Anthony Grant obviously has emerged, Casey has emerged when he has time to throw the ball. But it is one thing to bring in all this talent and all these players, and it's another thing that if you don't have an offensive line to block for your talented players, it defeats the purpose of bringing in these four to five star recruits if you can't get them the ball in time if you can't block for them so they can make a five yard play into a 60 yard touchdown run um anthony grant's really good at that and he's had probably to do a lot more than he has been asked to do because every time he gets the ball he's already met at the line and he's got to bounce off and run it outside type thing but i i just don't you got to get rid of all of scott's coaches that he brought in it's just it's not good for the program in terms of a mental cultural state to keep all of the guys that he had brought in it's just it's you're going to see a ripple effect if you keep them um now it's to be seen whether getting rid of chinander and keeping bill bush is the defense is going to turn it around i just don't expect it just because again the players you put out there on the field are going to be the ones that win you the game regardless of coaching and. Again, this all the players that Scott had brought in to coach the uh, or not the coach, but to play defense are going to win you the game. And right now, I it's not a good long term solution to build a team on a transfer portal. I don't think it's feasible in the modern college football game right now. Who knows? With I mean, the transfer portal is also a fairly new thing for college football. especially with NIL now playing a big factor in that. But we know that all these transfers were brought in were a very short-term fix to save Scott's season. Um, Same with the coaches that he brought in. They probably also knew that taking this job was a short-term fix to save Scott's season. And if things went south quickly, like they have, that they were not going to have a job. Uh, These players, I I do feel bad for the players because all these coaches that I told them to come in all they transferred to come in for a one-time shot have now like everything's derailed uh, off the rails for the time being. But it's, it's one thing that Trev will need to look into for the future is you need to find a coach that builds around an offensive line or a defensive line, or just like the lines in general, because if you have your line, solid, if you have a very solid offensive line, you can put players around there from the portal or you recruit them and develop them later. Uh, Wisconsin, Iowa are just two notable, noticeable programs that are very good at doing that. Having a very solid offensive line and then finding a back like Braylon Allen. I mean, if you block for Braylon Allen, obviously you see what Wisconsin has done with the running game. Um, so I hope that is one thing Trev does look for in a coach is you do not need a flashy coach to be a successful program and not saying that we have to build our program like Wisconsin, like Iowa, but that is what the big 10 is. It's very run heavy. It is very, you win the lot, you win the game in the trenches in the big 10, no matter what team you play for. And as you obviously, we have looked at offensive, uh, the offense for Iowa and Wisconsin, they are not very flashy. They are not spread offenses. They are not shotgun heavy they are just they're going to run the ball down your throat and then they'll hit you with a play action and score type thing or they'll just run the ball down your throat till they score um, but that is kind of like my, my biggest thing of what Scott had done is he was more concerned about getting a talented receiver, quarterback, running back type players and then you get them no offensive line to block and it defeats the purpose of trying to get them the ball because you can't get them the ball to make the play Cause you don't pass protect or you don't run block and all of that. But overall point being is we're just going to see just kind of how it's going to take at least a good two to three years. If the players that transferred in don't transfer out of all the Scott's players to finally kind of leave the program and the new head coach to get his guys in. I think we will be feeling the effect of Scott's tenure for quite some time. Um, just going forward. But with that Nate, I'll hand it over to you just kind of your discuss your thoughts of where do we go from here um and if you want to touch on coaches or anything like that you're more than welcome to. Okay. Yeah. So I think
1: from I guess the good base starting point is with Mickey's press conference. He took accountability for the loss said it was on him, not really on the players. So I think that's a far cry from what we have seen in the past from uh, Scott, from our previous head coach there. Um, It's refreshing to hear, refreshing to see, even though it may be just kind of, you know, coach speak, but it's refreshing to hear that he is taking the loss, at least as hard as the kids are, and not just kind of blowing it off to, oh, well, it was, we were one or two plays away or something, you know? the the typical colloquialisms that we uh, were used to hearing and so that was at least something positive from that press conference that i heard mm-hmm. and then we have one of the notes here that where uh, mickey says they're actually gonna look at the film and see the players that are playing well and play them and i think that's that's good it's smart it's something that we probably should have been doing anyways (laughs) it sounds again more rumor mill stuff but it sounds like the previous tenure was more on their own guys and they had certain favoritisms that they were playing and so it's another good sign i guess that we're heading towards the we're going to play the guys that are going to help us win the games not the oh well this person has XYZ name or something. We're going to look at them and play them just because I feel like it. And so, just from a coaching perspective, that's at least refreshing to hear, good to hear. Um, definitely some excitement there with that. But I agree with you, Andy. We're going to be seeing some of the effects of Frost tenure for probably longer than we would like to. Ideally, we get in a new head coach who can kind of clean house bring in his own recruits, bring in his own players, bring in his own coaches that will uh, introduce at least a new culture to the program. But that obviously is going to depend on who we hire, when we hire them and things of that nature. So that'll be interesting to see. And then with the transfer portal, I think, I think it's interesting because it's, it's certainly helpful. You can get some of your playmakers, and kind of those fringe guys that you need to help bring the team together. But you you need to have your own set of players that you recruit that actually uh, you bring into the program and give you a solid base for the football team. You're not going to be finding your offensive linemen or defensive linemen, things like that, in the transfer portal. And so you need to be able to not only recruit a solid base, but you have to develop that base, too, because it's not like we're... Starved for talent because we we have a top we've had top 20 recruiting classes for the past few years. It's not like we're starting one or two star guys on our offensive lines like these are these are four star players that I mean they may not be top top tier, but they're still they're good players highly rated at their position. And so I think that really goes to show how poorly we've done at developing our talent that we have because we have overall good players. It's, it does come down to the coaching staff though on how good those players end up becoming. And so whether Mickey gets it done or not, I think that's something that we really need to look at going forward is how well these players improve in the face of adversity here, where we're, you know, one and three and seeing how they can respond to being kind of a bit of a laughing stock right now and maybe not playing their best football, but if they can respond, finish out the season, even if it's not, you know, on a big winning streak or anything, at least showing just improvement on both sides of the ball, tackling, wrapping up, blocking the guys you're supposed to just little things, little fundamentals that hopefully we can fix here over the next few weeks. And so that's kind of, I guess what I'm hoping to see looking forward. So with that, I'll go ahead and pass it over to Zach on any of his thoughts.
2: You bet. Uh, So for me, you know, I think it's tough because obviously, like you guys both said, Mickey took accountability and he said that he was, you know, the losses on him, which, you know, I don't agree with. He wasn't wasn't really going to be able to do much regardless. I mean, outside of a miracle, and I'm going to say – any coach that came in could be the greatest college football coach of all time. And the Nick Sabans and the urban Myers, and they weren't going to turn the Nebraska team around in six days to go out and beat Oklahoma. Uh, With that said, I think something that just kind of popped in my brain as just a good example of like how I felt about, regardless of how Mickey was going to do, you know, after seeing how much we lost, it was, In my head, I was like, you know, it's really hard to host a fine China dinner party when all you're given is Tupperware, which I think is a really good way of looking at what Mickey was given for what he had to work with. Um, I don't don't know. Maybe that's a saying somewhere, but I've never heard it. So I was like, "Ah, I'm taking credit for that. (laughs) but going to the transfer portal discussion that you guys had brought up, I think there can be a lot of good that comes out of the transfer portal. Not that you guys didn't say that, but I mean, you want a good example of transfer portal success is uh, Michigan state. Uh, They have had great success in the portal. Obviously they've taken what they've got from the transfer portal and been able to build upon it and develop. So I also think Mel
0: Tucker is a very good coach.
2: (laughs) Correct. Uh, (laughs) And so I think, I think the transfer portal has really good prospects available for us. And, you know, if Mickey's the next head coach or whoever the next head coach that comes in, will have a good foundation to build on because if we get a good splash hire, and I don't mean like the sexy hire like we talked about last time, I'm saying just somebody that's got a name attached to them that people probably want to play for. We could see a lot of good transfer portal prospects. That said, I'm probably one of the guys that, uh, you know, I, as much as I like the transfer portal and I like the ranking systems, I have always kind of wondered how true they are. Case in point, I think we've got a fringe five star O line or, or, yeah, offensive lineman on our team uh, who has been here for a few years. And again, he missed how many blocks this last week? So, you know, when I think of a fringe five star player, that's the farthest thing from it for me is missing blocks. I'm, I'm sorry. If you're going to be an almost five-star recruit, you're not missing blocks. You're going to be the one that's telling the rest of the team where they missed their blocks. But I digress. That, that's a whole different discussion, and I obviously don't work on the stats side of that, so I can't speak to what goes into those rankings, or at least at least confidently I can't. I think there's a lot of good that's going to come moving forward, though obviously we're seeing Mickey make his changes and we're seeing, uh, that, you know, he's taking control of the team. Like Trev said, he would, uh, I do like that. I like the accountability and yeah, I mean, the ripple effects are gonna, I do think the ripple effects are still going to be present. I think on the other side of that though, going back to the transfer portal. And if we get good coaches that develop, we may not see it as long as we think might only be a year or two, uh, it's, it's going to probably be a rough rough go of things for at least a year or two, and I think that would be fair, uh, depending on who we get, I guess. Um, and then I know Andy's already talked about it, and I know Nate mentioned it last week too, but just because I remember I never said anything about it, uh, on the Urban Train,
1: um, I do
2: not want Urban Meyer, but I am very conflicted on <laughs> the prospect of Urban Meyer because I look at it as two separate parts of what we get of urban Meyer. Cause the on field work that he would do has he's uh, I'm he's obviously up there as a top coach looking just specifically at the football aspect. If we want a football coach that can win urban Meyer is one that would do it. I mean, outside of him, the likelihood of us getting Nick Saban is pretty low, I think. So, you know, he might be one to look at if we're talking just football. But unfortunately, what comes with him there is, you know, the baggage. That's that's the part that I don't want. But who knows? Maybe maybe if he actually decides that he wants to come here, which there have been a lot of rumors and stuff that not rumors. Sorry, there have been a lot of reports saying that Urban Meyer is shutting down uh, the the talks that he doesn't have interest or that he wasn't contacted or however the reports are saying. Um, I do think it would be wild of Trev to not call him and talk to him just in a consulting role. That's not going to be a head
0: coach, so. Right, and that, I agree with that. If because that report came out Saturday, it's like, oh, Urban was spotted talking to like Trev Alberts and contract of the Nebraska job, and then that tweet yesterday came out and said, no, he's going to remain at Fox. He's not interested in coaching e again. And there's a couple points with that is I'm not sure Urban will even want to be a rebuilding coach at all because if any coach that comes here, you're going to have to rebuild. Um, outside of, I think, like his stint at U- Utah, I don't think Urban has ever had to come in and rebuild a team. I don't, I, I'd have to double check with Florida, but I know for Ohio State at least, he was just kind of handed the keys, kind of like he did for Ryan Day. Um, and obviously they're still going. And I, I just don't think Urban wants to be a rebuilding coach. He just kind of wants what Scott did was just get handed the title of head coach and just be a coach and not do all the extra things that a head coach should do. Um, But yeah, there is that aspect you're looking at is of short-term success versus long-term success. Short-term, yes, Urban would technically be a better coach if you want to, for sure, eight, nine win season right off the bat, or maybe not right off the bat, but at least short-term wise. But the long-term of this is, you're probably gonna be doing this again in four years of looking for another coach. And I'm sure Trev has taken that into account. and. You know, if he has contacted Urban, I hope it's more of a consulting role, like you said, Zach, of, hey, who are your contacts? You know, who do you who do you think I should reach out to to talk to you about finding the next guy for Nebraska? Urban, obviously, has been around the league both college and NFL for a very short time in the NFL, (laughs) might I add. (laughs) But Urban probably still has a lot of contacts. There's a lot of guys that he could get Trev in contact with just for any sort of consulting idea of who is the best character, who's the best guy that I should bring in for this job. So I hope if there's any sort of report like that, that's what it's been for and not it's serious consideration for the job. Cause I will lose my mind if that happens.
2: <laughs> well, and then going to the long-term point and I know we've all kind of discussed this. And again, I'm reiterating, I don't necessarily want urban Meyer myself, but I do think there are some things you got to look at. He could do like he did at Ohio state with Ryan day, where he brings in some extra good coaches and he develops our players. And he says, Hey, you know, four or five years is his mark. And he could be upfront about that. And he's like, I don't want to coach the rest of my life, but I think I've got a good shot with this Nebraska job to, to rebuild it and then hand the keys to somebody else and say, here you go. Keep it going. And I like, you know, Ryan day is a perfect example of that. He's done fantastic with Ohio state. I don't think anybody's going to argue that point, but you know, I still don't want him to come here. Just with everything else that goes with it, I I do think there's a lot of good that could come from talking to him, and you know, having having discussions with him. If you're Trev Alberts, but you know, we don't get paid to make those
0: decisions, so our opinions are just that. My thought of with all those clips Saturday of the students and like you know younger kids yelling. Yeah we want urban at the Fox big 10 or big noon kickoff show. And I sat back and I'm like, well, thank goodness an adult is making this decision for us and not a bunch of 18 (laughs) to 21 year olds shouting. We want urban. (laughs) And it's tough
2: too, because like as a, as an early nineties kid, you know, I was barely, you know, cognizant in terms of memory of the Huskers being great. You know, I, I vaguely remember 97 was a great year for Oscar football, but I'm saying I vaguely remember it because I didn't understand what was going on to to a great level. And so I get it. Like, wouldn't it be great if all of a sudden Nebraska could come back and be in a great bowl? And I mean, playoff contention's a lot to ask, right? Within the next couple of years, but wouldn't it be great if in our lifetimes we could, we could see that, but I think we will. And again, I mean, this is more, this is bigger than the urban discussion. I think we will see it. And I'm t- I'm just saying maybe not even just not playoff contention just maybe bowl or championship I think we will see it because I think Trev is going to take it very serious about who he wants to bring in and who he wants to who he wants to run the program with that long term success and that sustainability but with that and depending on who we hire it it's going to be kind of like we all said with Scott too he's going to need. We, I remember saying specifically, like he needs at least five years to to get his program in place. I mean,
0: he got failed to five years. He
2: did he got his I program mean, but, in place. That's for sure. He did and failed experiments, <laughs> you know, and all. But you know, we, I feel like Nebraska gave him the long enough leash because one. You know, I don't necessarily want to be the the rumor mill as a podcast by any means, but something that. I keep seeing that's floating around is that Trev wanted to fire him at the end of last year and didn't have booster support. So did I. And, (laughs) and apparently all it took was, you know, losing to Georgia Southern (laughs) to, to say, okay, yeah, now we support the decision. Like fine, but why didn't we think about this sooner? But, That is what it is. I'm not going to get too deep into that. We could be here forever. So with that, I will finally pass it back to Andy and uh, let you discuss.
0: We will. Yeah, just uh, I think one last point we'll wrap it up with. Um, We could save a couple of our other points for our uh, next episode, our bi-week episode here in terms of just more coaching discussion and and all of that. But quick note on that, Lance Lightpool looks pretty cool right now. Got Kansas off to a 3-0 and start, so we'll keep an eye on that going forward. Um yeah, but, but he's at
2: Kansas. Do we
0: really want that? Well, Kansas beat Texas last year, obviously great. Yeah, they and they yeah, almost beat yeah. Oklahoma last year, so we'll see what they do this year against them again. Yeah, I'm,
2: I'm just kidding. But he
0: does, he does look like a good
2: prospect, if I'm being honest. I think he looks good.
0: Uh, but Yeah, but the last point I had here was we are officially a third of the way through the Husker season. Whether you are happy or sad about that, probably most of us just want the season to be over already because it's already a train wreck. But four games in, eight more to go, entering now all of the rest of the Big Ten schedule here. And we thought, you know, we should probably revisit our season predictions because they (laughs) are not going as well right now. I remember Nate said he was nine and three. I was six at six. Zach, what were you again? I believe either six and six or seven and five. Okay. So, not, we're all technically not done yet, although Nate is probably the closest to being done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm but... going to drink a lot more Kool Aid for my <laughs>
1: prediction to come out correct.
0: But yeah. Uh, so, just in terms of revisiting, now we're four games to the end. We've kind of seen what has happened so far through four games and. You know, six and six, nine and three, six and six, or seven and five, still on the table for all of us. Nate's probably not going to happen. I don't even know if Zach and I's are going to happen <laughs> at this rate. Um, there is a very realistic possibility we are looking at one eleven straight in the face. Um, if that is, I, I don't even know how I'll feel about that. Um, but it's it's certainly on the table that we could go one at eleven. Uh, I will revise mine a little bit. I. I'm scared to say four wins because I don't know where the other three come from. (laughs) Um, But I'm going to go anywhere from three and nine again to four and eight um, kind of for my final season prediction there. Uh, I do think that looking at Indiana and Rutgers, you those are the most winnable games on the rest of the schedule here. Um, I know Purdue kind of had that scare. No, they did lose to Syracuse um indiana had that scare but won it over time against Western kentucky on saturday Uh, purdue did lose to syracuse but again any team that plays us like zach had mentioned before looks like a playoff contender team anytime they play us so nothing's a guaranteed win but in terms of the rest of the schedule the most winnable games are your next two games against indiana and Rutgers. but i will go anywhere from three and nine to four and eight and then i will adjust as we go on how about you nate
1: yeah so someone was a little optimistic this season um (laughs) man staring down the schedule earlier late august when we were first starting i was like northwestern north dakota georgia southern easy three win rattle off keep it close against oklahoma you know indiana rutgers purdue illinois all winnable games um
0: and a quick note on that, <laughs> Northwestern loss looks real bad to us right now, too. Yeah. They are also, their only win was against Nebraska, yep. losing to Duke and FCS Southern <laughs> Illinois. But continue, Nate.
1: Um I mean, in good news, North Dakota is ranked number 19 in the FCS now, so they, they just beat Northern Arizona last week. So they're at least moving up the ranks in the FCS, which is... positive for our one win on the season so far (laughs) but i would say i'm still gonna lean optimistic uh i think we like i said we got a bye week coming up scott frost was notoriously bad coming out of a bye week so i feel like mickey joseph has to know that and Will come out swinging against Indiana. It's a home game. It's a homecoming night game in Memorial Stadium. I think that's going to pay some dividends for us, and I think we can end up four and eight. I think that's where I'm gonna. I think it's gonna have to come. Our three wins are gonna have to come in the next four games with Indiana Rutgers, Purdue, Illinois. Because after that, it gets pretty tough. But I I think we can pull three wins out of there.
0: You said optimistic, yeah, no. and I thought you were talking about seven and five or stuff, something Eight like and that. Four. I'm like, All right, I was, waiting, in. I was waiting for six and six at minimum. I was like, yeah. I was like
1: optimistic. <laughs> Obviously, I would love if we could make a bowl game. Mickey could ride off to the sunset on that, but I realistically, unless our defense shows some market improvement, I think that we're going to be staring another uh, losing record in the face at the end of the year. So. That'll pass it over to Zach.
2: Yeah, uh, I think I'm pretty much on the same train as you with a point that was kind of brought up, but I'm just going to summarize what Andy was basically saying there is that the Big Ten West this year has been pretty weak, uh, even with unless you're Minnesota, unless you're Minnesota.
0: <laughs> yeah, Minnesota with...
1: also played some yeah, teams. <laughs> fair point. Not to take anything away from them. I think they're going to crush us, but <laughs> you think <laughs> <laughs> they I have mean this thing called a run game that scares me <laughs>
0: so does Wisconsin yeah
2: those two games are going to be brutal but uh I do think the Big Ten West not for Nebraska being winnable but I do think there are chances to eke out some wins and that's about the best I'm going to be able to say is I think we're going to eke out some wins but I think four and eight is about the highest I'm going to go as well I I don't think Mickey was just given enough to really turn the team around. But, you know, I would love to be proven wrong. Uh, If he goes and he gets us to a bowl game, I would absolutely, I will 100% say I was wrong and take that one in the face because, you know, we haven't been to a bowl game for years, which is so sad to say, but we haven't been to a bowl game for however many years. It's mike you know, Riley
0: twenty seventeen maybe
2: oh man that's some, <laughs> yep, yep. that's some uh that's a long time uh and something else that we can discuss further in the bye week uh but something that we should make sure that if you're not aware of if you listen to us is that we are not the only- only team in college football right now that's gonna be gunning for a new head coach as uh Herm Edwards at Arizona State also got fired after this last weekend. He woke up on uh, on NCAA Survivor and they said, uh, you're, you're gone from the island. So
0: did you I mean, see that video 31. that came out? There was a video somewhere on Twitter of Herm Edwards walking off the field after their game Saturday and immediately talking to both the chancellor and the athletic uh, hmm. and the AD for Arizona State. And I think the comment of that video was that they just fired him right on the spot on the field. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> I didn't see
2: that, but I mean, maybe he was just maybe he was just given his ticket to the boat right there that day instead of Sunday, like you know most Survivor works. But anyway, just something to keep and keep in mind as uh, as we definitely the three of us go ahead with our discussions of who we think the next head coach is going to be. Um, Where I mean, obviously, I'm sure there's going to be some other head coaches that get a let go this year too. So, I mean, it's not, there's no way Nebraska's going to be the only one that's going to be looking for a new head coach, which would be great if we were though. But thanks to Herm and his uh, wonderful coaching. Now it's not a possibility. So with that, I will give the reins back to
0: Andy. All right. So just wrapping up the program here for the podcast. Uh Yeah, we're going to win the bye week. There's no way we can lose it. I don't think. Hold on, we, let's let's if, slow down there. If we find a way to lose it, I would love to know how we lose it. Um, but yeah, bye week, this coming week for Nebraska, so their next game that just got announced, uh, the kickoff time 6.30 on BTN against Indiana next weekend. Homecoming game for Nebraska, like Nate said, night game at Memorial Stadium. Always just adds a little bit of juice for the program. It I want to say it did for Georgia Southern, but also it didn't because that was an atrocious game to watch but either way so with that uh you can always find us on our facebook and twitter pages for the nebraska abilities podcast you can always let us know your thoughts anytime just a couple of notes for kind of the bi-week podcast we will be talking about the college football playoff expansion that they had announced a couple weeks ago uh expanding to 12 teams hopefully by 2024 Six, I think, is when they said probably it would be initiated. Um, And then we'll also talk some conference expansion as well. Obviously, the notable ones for the Big Ten of UCLA and USC coming to the Big Ten in 2024. Uh, We'll also talk about just kind of the Big 12 uh, in the next coming years. Um, The TV contract deals, kind of the shape and landscape of what college football is going for as well. Uh, Any final thoughts, boys? Uh, Just one. And it goes into the socials. If
2: you have anything that you'd like us to discuss, as I know uh, we've all gotten questions and texts from people. If you have anything you'd like us to discuss on the podcast that you want to hear our thoughts on, make sure you follow us on our socials and let us know what those thoughts are. Because without you guys letting us know via those channels, we aren't going to be able to talk about it. And the bi-week discussion is going to be a great long one. So... You know, make sure you tune into that. But if you got something you want to hear that we haven't touched on yet, let us know via those socials. That's all for me.
1: Anything else, Nate? Not too much. Uh, you mentioned we're we're uh, probably going to win this by week. So i we have I've already got my Kool-Aid ready. And uh, I think we're going to be going into Indiana on a, on a good foot. So I'll just leave it with a, a go big red and I'll let you uh, finish off here. I love how it's probably,
2: by the way, Nate, we're probably going <laughs> to win. But the, the fact that we're so jaded as a fan base is that now we're saying we don't even know if we'll win the bye week. Like, yep. that's where we're at.
0: Right. And obviously, if anything else comes out of Mickey's press conference tomorrow on Tuesday, we will address that during the podcast, uh, for the bi-week podcast, or if anything else in terms of the team shows up, we will address that as well. But for your host, I am Andy. Those are my co-hosts, Zach and Nate. And remember as always, if it's a possibility, it is a Nebraska ability.